0: Welcome
1: to Electric Liberty Land, here on the Lions of Liberty podcast, your weekly shot of culture, comedy, and liberty, with your host, Brian McWilliams. All right, everybody, welcome to Electric Liberty Land, episode number 80. Yes, uh, uh, somewhat of a milestone, 80 episodes. Just think, 20 more and it'll be at an actual milestone, as exciting as that would be. But anyway, only at episode 80 today, which means you can check out all the show notes at lionsofliberty.com forward slash ELL eight zero. And uh I am once again going to see how far I can get into today's show. Not because of the guest who uh is a fine fellow and I'll introduce it in just a moment, but because I am once again sitting in what I am I'm now affectionately calling the hole. Much like Cool Hand Luke and any other number of prison films where they were thrown into a hot, un-air-conditioned sweat pit. That is now my broadcasting life as I am still in my current apartment. Uh, and it's uh, makes you a makeshift studio before I moved to this new house. So it's been routinely like 90 to 100 degrees in LA and it's just, uh, I'm sweating out the demons. So speaking of demons though, my guest today is a demon fighting as hard as a demon can fight for the 10th Amendment. And he does this by virtue of what he has created, the beautiful and wonderful 10th Amendment Center and a beautiful and wonderful man, Michael Bolden. Welcome to Electric Liberty Land.
0: Thanks so much, Brian. You know, here in downtown LA, the air conditioning is beautiful. So you are welcome to come over anytime you want.
1: Excellent. Do I have to uh, knock on the door? Can I just slide in an open window? Well, you can I actually, do whatever. the windows will be closed otherwise, because if you're like me, you were raised in an environment where, God forbid, you crack a window or open a door for too long with the ACs on.
0: I actually do it. Just fuck the man. On, we <laughs> planned on talking about this for the entire podcast. For those of you listening, we're not going to talk about air conditioning the entire time. <laughs> Only a tight 30 minutes at the start of the podcast. <laughs>
1: But yeah, I mean, it's like yeah. I, mean, and I saw in MythBusters one time about using the you know windows open versus air conditioning and whether that actually plays into gas mileage. Spoiler effect doesn't. Use it all you want. Windows open with the AC on, fine. Windows closed with the AC on, fine. Same amount of gas mileage. So take that to the bank. That's a tip for you and everybody that you love. That's beautiful.
0: All right, we're good. All right, thanks for having me on the show. <laughs> I appreciate being here. My next guest will be,
1: yeah, man. Well, it's you know it's been great having you on <laughs> because <laughs> I wanted to, I've wanted to have you on for a while, and you know I I had no idea for the longest time that you lived in Los Angeles, which is quickly becoming a uh, a, a very strange hotbed, this horrible statist environment that we that we live in in Los Angeles, but it's becoming a little bit of a hotbed for libertarian uh, idealists with you here. With me, Mark, Jason Stapleton's here, uh, Pablo, uh, Sergio from, uh, the Liberty on the Rocks events and, and any number of people that we've seen at these live events, because we had got to see each other three times now at libertarian events. The, the first two Liberty on the Rocks, which you had, uh, come along with Dave Smith, uh, who I is where, who I heard firsthand that you were not this, uh, stuck up, uh, I don't even know, crusader for the 10th Amendment that had nothing other to offer than than pure ideas, but in fact, we're a likable individual.
0: <laughs> Shockingly, I'm decent, decent, but I am enough. a little—I am a, a, a stuck-up ideologue. Well, that's fine, but at least you have a sense of humor about it, <laughs> which is
1: uh, which you can tell from a hat, which uh, that comes up prominently when you're Googled, uh, by the way. But we'll get to that in a moment. But you and I have had some chances to hang out and talk, and of course, we were at that same Liberty, uh, the, the Los Angeles libertarian convention um so we you had spoken there as well and and a, a great speech firing people up as to what you are doing with the 10th amendment center so i just it's exciting to get you on the show and i look forward to uh, to hanging out obviously in person and throwing a few back as we did have a recent uh, opportunity to do done excellent so before we get into some of the topics i want to get into let's just address it at the top of the show because who knows where things are going to go shit's going to go off the rails so tell me a little bit more about the 10th Amendment Center so that anybody in our audience who's not familiar with you, which is probably not that many people, but they get a little bit more feel for what you're doing and why it's so important.
0: OK, seeing you brought up Southern Poverty Law Center, let's just Those read what they have pieces to say. of shit. Yeah, go yeah. Ahead. Yeah. Here's <laughs> what they had to say. Michael Bolden, me, is an ideologue who has spent years promoting the idea that states can, quote, nullify federal legislation they don't like. The very same argument pushed by defenders of slavery and segregation, <laughs> yes. and just as baseless now as it was then. So, uh, there is a high, as you mentioned, there's a, a page I was listed years ago as one of the leaders of the radical right, yeah. uh, a dangerous ideologue uh, trying to undermine and nullify federal acts. And I guess you know some people would say that's a that's a nerve-wracking place to be uh, you know uh, targeted by SPLC but some people say it's a badge of honor
1: well you know what and considering the fact that the SPLC now is coming under attack and i was going to ask you are you going to try to join the the class action lawsuit that's being undertaken by a lot of people to push back against the SPLC
0: you know, I had thought about this in the past. Uh, I think the page actually went up in 2012. Yeah, that's around, what it
1: looked like, yeah.
0: Somewhere around 2012. They did update it recently. Uh, and I had thought about it a number of times over the years, kind of laughed it off. But SPLC has about $40 million in the bank. And I did read that one organization did get a payout by just sending a threatening letter. Yeah, so, of like 2 or
1: $3 million, I
0: think. So, I mean... It has in in So in all seriousness, it actually has made advancing my work more difficult sometimes because Mm -hmm. I do a lot of things that actually, uh, if you're talking about decentralization of power, this isn't necessarily going to apply to either liberal or conservative ideologies. It'll sometimes be one, sometimes be the other. So a lot of the things that we do here uh, uh, is something that's very appealing to people on the left. And when they first look, look me up and they see SPLC, they tend to just kind of throw in the trash right off the bat. That doesn't right. always happen, but it certainly has created a roadblock. And I think there is a, a, a legitimate concern about being well, listed
1: there. You know what's maddening about what they did there and how they've positioned it is they're basically taking something which is simply a fight against overreach of the government and as far as what they can dictate people can and can't do, uh, which is essentially what the 10th Amendment pushes back upon. And, and and you know, even though the rights are dictated to us by the Constitution, you know— when we said, when you have this entire statement, the, and the Southern Poverty Law Center, I love how they say that it's a like this overarching overreading of the passage, which explicitly states that any powers or any rights not specifically stated in the Constitution default to the people. So it's like I don't know how else you overread that. But I love how they also position it and to say, well, you know, this could be this could have been used. It was used in the past to to argue Look, the concept of nullification was used to argue for segregation and slavery. We're like, OK, so you're picking this one thing that it was used for at one point in time to attack a modern day institution, which was created to help people
0: live a freer life. You know, if we want to get into the kind of the nitty gritty of this, the interesting part is these guys at SPLC, they claim to champion people's rights, particularly those of African-Americans. But yet they they throw out this idea of nullification. They say we're bad guys, we're racist, but that's ignoring the history. Nullification was one of the top tools used by abolitionists in the 19th century to undermine and defeat the Federal Fugitive Slave Act. Uh, which is probably one of the most disgusting so-called laws ever passed uh, by a government in this uh, in this country.
1: Let me see. I'm looking for the footnote. Uh, Nope. There's not a footnote there
0: about that. You should email them. You know, they called them personal liberty laws. So, for example, in Michigan, they prohibited slave catchers from using state or local jails to hold Mm -hmm. accused runaways. In Massachusetts, they would remove any state official. Like, you'd lose your job working for the government if you helped return a runaway slave. You'd get disbarred as an attorney if you helped the feds do fugitive slave rendition. And in Vermont, they were really aggressive. They said every black person within the state borders – was free and making any attempt to send them back to slavery was kidnapping. So these were all acts of nullification. Even when South Carolina seceded, they issued a document called the Declaration of Causes mm-hmm. uh, that that would uh, this was their whole justification for for seceding. And they went through this whole kind of uh, constitutional discussion of how they think the Union was formed. But the first thing that they complained about were all the states in the North that were nullifying the Fugitive Slave Act or (laughs) rendering them impossible to enforce. So they complained about this, and SPLC is either counting on people being ignorant or they're just –
1: that's what i was gonna say is i'm sure you know vastly more about the subject they're attacking you on than they do in in any way and yeah they're banking on people being ignorant they're banking on people i mean the spLC and this is why i'm i'm so happy to see the them get a payout even though yeah i guess there's some freedom of speech concerns where you don't want to see like the uk style of attack where people are, are litigated into a silence on any topic but i mean you look at the way they slander organizations. And, and in that same article, Tom Woods is in, who I know you're very friendly with, and uh, and and I heard Tom Woods' uh, speech, which he had published in one of his episodes, specifically citing you and the wonderful work that you've been doing. But, you know, you talk about these nullifications and ways you can undermine the federal government, and I just want to mention this and segment into a very specific way that you figured out to undermine the NSA, which is to
0: cut off their access to, what was it, water, right? Right, right. And just add one quick side note on the SPLC. Yeah, I've please. I've done... Dozens and dozens of interviews with mainstream publications, Reuters, Associated Press, U.S. News, New York Times, L.A. Times, Washington Post, tons of all in shorts, tons of them. All of them call me and talk to me about stuff before they publish something, even if it's bad. The only two that haven't has been the SPLC. And then Rachel Maddow, about the same time the SPLC put up that page, uh, Maddow did a full 10-minute segment talking about how the Tenth Amendment Center is dangerous to the union because of their efforts to nullify federal power. So these people, (laughs) if you want to talk yellow journalism, if we can even use the word journalism, absolutely, that's the way it is. They don't even call. They just hammer on you and let it roll. But yeah, uh, the NSA, a few years ago, when uh, after the... um, Uh, The Snowden revelations back, I guess that was uh, just May or June of of 2013, I started looking in this because a lot of people were asking. We've been doing some stuff on privacy, and we're uh, pushing back on Obamacare. And of course, we're we're always pushing back on the the drug war by advancing efforts Mm -hmm. to either decriminalize or uh, legalize marijuana. And people started hitting me up and saying, hey, dude, what are you guys going to do about this whole NSA thing? And I thought, oh, man, nothing. There's nothing (laughs) we can do. Absolutely nothing but I started doing some research and over a period of few weeks, literally just Google. I'm just going through Google, looking stuff up. I'm noticing that the NSA is building all these new facilities instead of just having their HQ at Fort Meade in Maryland. And I started finding these these contracts that they were signing. For example, the facility in Bluffdale, Utah, which at the time was the largest one that had opened. The one in San Antonio, Texas is now probably a bit bigger. Mm. But this is a massive facility for storing data. And I noticed Whoa, they signed a contract with the local uh, governing body of Bluffdale, Utah, which is a political subdivision of the state, to provide water to cool the supercomputers. The estimates were going to be millions of gallons of water every single week and significantly more on a month-to-month basis because if you can't cool the supercomputers by running water over the top of them through a system, they shut down. And in fact, at Fort Meade, Maryland— They had the reason they started expanding the NSA in as far as like physical locations is because back in 2003 or so, they maxed out the power grid in Baltimore and they were concerned. Oh, wow. they
1: were. Well, I guess considering the size of the spying operation, not I shouldn't be that surprised by that fact.
0: It's amazing, though. And this was at a time when we I mean, you look back on it. This is 10, 15 years ago. They weren't doing nearly as much as they do these days. So they were already blowing the power grid in Baltimore. So they had to find new locations and they looked at places that either had access to cheap electricity. For example, Texas has an independent power grid, which is why they expanded to San Antonio in a former Sony factory and right down the street from a new Microsoft uh, data facility so they could tap into it. And then, of course, Utah, where they get cheap water. Now, if the state doesn't actually provide those services or they don't sign a contract to do it in the first place, they can't open the facility. So. (laughs) That's the whole point. So we came up with legislation that would have required the state of Utah to turn off water to uh, the NSA. Uh, I had interviews all over the place on that one from U.S. News to Mm -hmm. I was on CBS this morning, all kinds of stuff. it was a very interesting approach that we're still working on. It had moved pretty far in the process. But behind the scenes, there was a uh, I think it was a lieutenant colonel. Some head, some, some high, sneaky bastard made a yeah, deal. Yeah, some high up yeah. guy in the National Guard visited a committee chair in Utah and said, "You do not let that out of committee." And then it didn't. And the sponsor got scared off and uh. yeah. no. So we think it might be dead, but no, we actually uh, shifted our strategy. We recognize that the hardest place to get these passed are the places where they have the physical facilities: Texas, Utah. Tennessee, West Virginia, Georgia, Washington state. But we also recognize that because we don't even know when they're going to open a new facility until after the deals are done, it's also extremely important to get this type of legislation passed in states that don't have facilities right now.
1: Right. But they would just be prime candidates. You can kind of tell by scouting out ahead of time now where they might put them, right?
0: Yeah. Or yeah. all everywhere. They'll go everywhere. Well, possibly. yeah, true. We if you can. If you can lock down in law that they're not allowed to sign a contract to provide water or electricity to the NSA, the NSA is going to look somewhere else. The mm. idea is if you pass this in a bunch of places, you box them in, and then you start working harder on the places where they already have facilities, and then we knock them down. So we actually just got uh, uh, the state of Michigan. It just went into effect on June 17th. Nice. They passed, they passed and it is it is a state law now that they cannot provide what's called material support or resources to warrantless federal surveillance programs, it's extremely broad. The phrase "material support or resources" we lifted from the Patriot Act, <laughs> they <laughs> used in a real broad way that you can't do anything; otherwise, you're somehow helping terrorists. Oh, that's what I love, man. I was just gonna say
1: you you perfectly. I was, just, I was gonna make that exact point. Where usually I'm on here railing about overly broad language and legislation, but this purpose you've used it against them, and the Patriot Act is exactly what I was thinking of, especially with like the use of you know enemy combatants. And the, the broad definition of that, which includes everything. So kudos, that is fantastic.
0: So we just got that passed in Michigan. We had a a smaller step forward already signed into law here in California, of all places. SB-828 was signed a few years ago. So things are moving forward on that. We can actually stop the surveillance state without relying on Washington, D.C. to do it for us, because that'll never happen.
1: No, true. And that's what's so amazing about the Tenth Amendment Center and the work you guys are doing is not only is your work very important, and guys, please do go and support the Tenth Amendment Center. It's just uh, 10thamendmentcenter.com. You can go and support them directly with financial uh, means. But it also is something where what I love about it is that you're finding these creative ways to fight back against the government. And it's something that individuals can do. Like, it gives everyone hope when they look at what you're doing, the fight that you're fighting, and you say... This is just a man finding a way finding a loophole, finding a way around the government and still manages to stick it to him and fight up for our, fight back for our rights. And it's just incredibly inspiring. And I host, I just hope more people just decide to take that initiative in their own localities to fight back.
0: So one thing that interesting that we've been doing research on all this kind of stuff is that we learned that almost every federal program Relies on state or local law enforcement or state or local agencies to help implement them. Mm-hmm. So whether it's gun control, the ATF, for example, has fifty-one hundred ATF agents for the entire country. About a third of them are in uh, administration. So my government school math is mm-hmm. really bad. Was it <laughs> like thirty-five hundred? Thirty-five hundred enforcement agents. They can close about eight thousand cases a year. So the argument I keep making, and I mentioned this at the uh, Los Angeles County. Libertarian Party convention, I said, hey, if there's 10 or 11 million undocumented short barreled shotguns in violation of the National Firearms Act of 1934, there's no way the ATF can stop it without help from local and state law enforcement. So our strategy is teaching states and individuals to stop participating in the enforcement of these federal acts. And we see it happening. Weed is an incredible example of this. The feds have been after this for a long time, and every administration has been worse than the other. I have not done the research yet on how things are going behind the scenes with the Trump administration, but Obama was terrible, even though they want us to think he wasn't. Oh, yeah. He he
1: waited till the very, very end, and then it was like,
0: okay here. Yeah, yeah. But in his first (laughs) term, the Obama administration conducted more raids— and spent more money on federal enforcement of marijuana uh, laws than Bush and Clinton combined in three terms. He was horrible. But what's happened is that there are now 32 states that are defying Washington, D.C. by not participating, at least in some narrow scope in some places, in some areas it's broader, like here in California, not participating in the federal prohibition scheme. And when you stop participating... You kind of crack the door open and then the market takes over because Mm -hmm. when the market, if it's markets versus government, uh, my view is that markets are always stronger.
1: Without a doubt. And what I love about this specific initiative as well, fighting back against the drug war. And this is where it just – the hypocrisy or the idiocy of the Southern Poverty Law Center comes into play because they're accusing the Tenth Amendment and what you're doing as far as supporting segregation. But meanwhile, the drug war is by far the biggest feeder into the prison population of the United States, which dwarfs any other population on earth, right? And and guess who's in there? Predominantly – It's black males. So (laughs) if anything, you're helping
0: fight segregation by stopping them from going to jail. (laughs) Absolutely. And once these once people have gone to prison for simple, nonviolent drug crimes, it's on their record. They have a hard time getting a job. They have a hard time getting a lease, an apartment. It just screws people's lives. And what does that do? It creates this endless cycle of people going to the 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 prisons It's this whole it's it's a nightmare, really. And for anyone to say that we're racist because we're opposing this, they don't say that. They just ignore it. So Maddow's segment, she's like, you know, on their segment, they're scrolling through the 10th Amendment Center website and they're talking about how, oh, you know, we want to stop gun control. We want to stop Obamacare. But they skipped the number one thing that we had listed on that page, which <laughs> is we want to stop the drug war. Naturally, we're we're yeah. anti-war, <laughs> you know. So We're anti-war, whether it's foreign or domestic, and they don't like talking about that because it appeals to a lot of their readers or, or viewers. Yep.
1: Well, you know what? Let's this let's segue then into talking about something else, and I, I'm going to go a is little bit a out of segue order.
0: out of this. Yeah, because oh this is- yeah,
1: I'm segueing, babe. Just just you wait, hop on the back of my segue. Uh, so I- here's a good segue, though, is that we're we're talking about the basic principles of the, not only the Tenth Amendment Center, but obviously why the Tenth Amendment Center is so attractive to libertarians, and let's talk a little bit about the libertarian platform and the libertarian party because I know you were down at the uh, the LNC as was Mark from our show and John Odermat, and I know you Hung out with those guys, as was Tom Woods. I know Dave Smith was supposed to go and and you took part in uh what was going on with the, the Mises Caucus, the Mises Caucus. Yep. So tell me a little bit about number one. I don't even know this. Are you an actual member of the LP? Because I am not. I am and, not either. Okay, so in light of recent I've news, also
0: never voted.
1: Never ever voted? Wow. Okay. I, see I I vote, and this is I, I you were at the event, I believe. Yeah, you were at the event, where I told people that. I believe in voting and I got booed, (laughs) but I believe voting and and primarily, though, is because I feel like Ron Paul inspired an entire generation of people, including myself, to become libertarians. And at the point at this point in time, while we're all doing God's work out there, spreading the ideas of liberty, that is still a very powerful pulpit. So
0: by virtue of that, I feel like people need to vote. I'm not one of these people who is a an anti voter. I've just never done it. I've never. I tried Just to. Vote. Very lazy. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I'm doing all this whole 10th Amendment Center garbage at home, and then like, who has time to go vote for John McCain or somebody? Like? True, <laughs> it is a pain I, in the ass,
1: and oh, uh, actually, waiting in lines
0: yeah. obnoxious. I actually did try to vote for Ron Paul in the primaries in 2007. I had never registered to vote in my life. So I sent in my registration. I actually sent it by priority mail, had a tracking number, even though they tell you you don't need that Mm -hmm. to the secretary of state or whatever, whatever. You spent the
1: extra money to give the to to feed the federal beast. (laughs) So it would
0: be there on time because I was just. Kind of con- conspiratorial and a little sketchy and thinking, oh, they're going to screw me over. Right. <laughs> and so when I went to go uh, enter my ballot, I go to the ballot station here in downtown LA and they say, oh, Michael, you're not on our list. You can file a provisional ballot. Is that what it would be called? Yeah. yeah. So I filed this provisional ballot and I thought, okay, I voted for Ron Paul months later, I get a letter from the secretary of state saying, oh, we received your provisional ballot. Uh, and unfortunately, you weren't on the rolls and therefore your vote did not count. So, wow. I mean, as a <laughs> so your best efforts, yeah, technicality, I did attempt to vote. I can I, see
1: why you would not want to go back after that experience. Clearly,
0: said, oh, it's not a good one. No, if it was the right thing or the right ballot measure or I had the right candidate. I absolutely would.
1: Yeah, because I mean, I, for me, I had I had not voted. Let me think. I voted uh, against George W. Bush the second time because he was obviously despicable in his, well, all of his actions at that point. And then after that, I voted for Ron Paul, and uh, cause I, you know, I, I got stumping around for Ron Paul, Mark and I, door to door. So uh, you know, I I did vote. I voted for Gary Johnson the last cycle. Uh, <laughs>
0: I think Gary's you know, I, a good guy. I have Gary spoke. He's the only presidential candidate who ever spoke at a nullification conference. Well, so, that is encouraging. Let's give him credit on that. I mean, uh, you know, he's always credit. been a very kind person. I've seen him many times over the years. Been on uh, on the stage with him a number of times over the years. He's always been a genuinely good person. I don't well, think he's a great political candidate for president, but uh, I mean, who am I to say? I exactly look,
1: my you know, I could have a slow uncle that's a very nice person, and I love to eat Jello with, but it doesn't I, mean he should run for president.
0: Right, nor definitely. should he
1: be, ha- nor should he have been put forth as the candidate. Uh, and I think that brings us back full circle to the current state of the Libertarian Party. And yeah. you are not a member. I am not a member, but Tom Woods. Shockingly is now joining and, uh, you know, the Mises caucus has a lot to do with that. Dave Smith is joining. So I was going to ask you, what are your thoughts on this platform now? Which, you know, they're joining to say we want candidates are going to go forth and say flat out we are, we're, anti-war, we're anti war we're anti drug war. And I, I actually am very happy that news came out that the LP is actually going to openly be the only uh, platform that will support decriminalizing prostitution on uh, at at a federal level, which I support fully. So again, it's your body, it's your right. So what are your thoughts about all these people joining the, the Libertarian Party in an official capacity now, rather than just being on the front lines of thought, but not actually within the voting ranks of the membership?
0: So Tom Woods, Dave Smith, Mance Raider. I think uh, we might hear about Jason Stapleton, possibly. I know I, I don't he know, just Mark, interviewed Mark.
1: Yeah, Mark was know? on his show today, but yeah. I don't know. I haven't gotten to listen to the entire episode, so I don't know if Mark had convinced him to join or not. But
0: Mark is a pretty convincing dude. We he, both know. This, right? Yeah,
1: he could he can bend an ear or two. I mean, look, the, you look at the guy and the, that ridiculous uh, pretty haircut he's got, but he manages to get his fair share of ladies interested. So, hey, he's got he's a charming individual <laughs> and obviously a very when it comes to liberty, too. I i yeah, I don't want to take anything away from Mark. He is very, very good at uh, and very, very well educated in the ways of liberty. He is strong with the liberty force. So, yes, I, I hope he I hope he uh, convinced Jason if because, uh, look, I I think I might actually join. I'm not going to join yet necessarily, but maybe like in a few months.
0: <laughs> I don't know if I would say the same. But no. well, I want to hear
1: your reasoning behind it. So why? So why? OK, so why.
0: we're actually going to have to flesh this out because I have put no thought to it. But it will make it maybe it'll be interesting. Let's podcast. do it,
1: man. I got I'm drinking water. I'm staying hydrated. So I look like Rocky right now. And uh, maybe the third movie where there's sweat flying off my face uh, as I talk. But but I'm ready to go. So let's keep going.
0: So I think it's very interesting that Tom did it. I I'm actually very surprised. Uh, I also think it's interesting that Dave Mance, these are these are. These are ANCAPs, yeah. so they're not really voting-type people. They're, I mean, I don't think they're opposed to supporting efforts that, that advance the cause of liberty, either through educational uh, uh, means or through concrete on the ground. So Tom's been a, a longtime donor to the Tenth Amendment Center. Every mm-hmm. time he interviews me, he talks about it. He really pushes it. I mean, I can't imagine a better endorsement than that, that, that he actually puts his money – into, what is into my the, show just I'm just
1: garbage here is that what you're saying
0: you're well, throwing me I into mean, the slop bucket Well well you know we'll
1: compare notes me afterwards. and the, me and the chud what do I am I getting out the chud vote for you <laughs> the underdwellers
0: yeah pretty <laughs> much so any, <laughs> at least I'm but, taller than Tom Woods yeah but it's very close though <laughs> so I they're willing so Tom is willing to support causes that are in the political sphere as well. And I think Dave, uh, I was more surprised to see Mance Raider because he's pretty hardcore on his Anne Kappa stand. Yeah,
1: I know. I didn't even hear about Mance. Uh, that so one
0: is I, a shock to me. It's all very interesting. I think what we're seeing, and I haven't talked to Tom about it, but what my assumption is, is that the LP has treated, uh, the, the Woodsians, uh, people who support Tom, listen to Tom, Tom himself, they've treated him very poorly. And here's now, uh, an effort in the Libertarian Party, the Mises Caucus, LPMC, they're trying to actually be friendly to Misesian ideas, mm-hmm. and Tom is a big part of that, clearly. Uh, so I think what he's doing is he's saying, hey, you guys are really working hard. You're working on promoting good principles, and this is a good way to support it. And I can't imagine why he wouldn't if that's if that's his goal.
1: Yeah, well, as he's called them, uh, the libertarian wing of the libertarian party. And I think that's a very astute assessment of what they're trying to do. It, you know the Libertarian Party had just gotten so away from the core principles that we saw this, and this was what I had been attacking, uh, you know, Nick Sowark about, and and when he had that flap with Tom Woods, it obviously enraged me, but. When we see the Libertarian Party trying to appeal to the, you know, the crazy social justice left and completely diluting the message. I mean, that was my biggest issue when it came to Gary Johnson as well and his refusal to stick to libertarian principles. Obviously the the Nazi cake thing that Jews would have to make a Nazi cake is just ridiculous. It's, I just want them to stick to principle and they, for a long time, did not seem to understand that. Uh, when you get away from principle, you get away from your core messaging and people don't respect that because you simply look like another political body that's willing to ebb and flow according to whatever's going to lead the, the power the fastest. And when you have somebody, and this is why Ron Paul, I think was so inspirational, is that he just was steadfast. Love him or hate him, he he was consistent. Yeah, you know it's like Smith's uh, tagline, the most consistent motherfucker. You know, that's yeah. what I want. I want those consistent motherfuckers, and I'm so happy to see Alex Merced get in there to replace Alex Arvin is a, Vora as well. A
0: really good dude. When I oh, introduced yeah. him at the uh, the Take uh, Human Action Bash at the uh, the convention. Right, that
1: was, which is, for anybody who doesn't know, that was the, the Mises Cox's counter, I guess pre-slash-counter
0: event uh, at the LNC convention. It was amazing, hundreds of people there showing up to support these guys who have been busting their butts for like 10, 11, 12 months to try to make something happen, and they've had a lot of good success. Alex Merced uh, got elected as the vice chair, but when I introduced him, I basically said, you know, every now and then you meet somebody for the first time that maybe you knew online, but as soon as you meet them in person, you know This person is my friend, Mm -hmm. and that's how I introduced Alex because he is an incredibly warm, loving human being, and I think he's a good face for the party because he also has really good principles uh, on liberty as his foundation. Yeah, most definitely.
1: So, you know, wrapping it all up, I am – Still surprised, as we said, that the number of people joining and how quickly it happened, but that does speak to the power of what is happening within the party. And I think it does give a lot of hope to people. Now, that could all be undermined by Bill Weld being swept into, uh, into the office of the presidential candidate for the Libertarian Party because Nick Sawark still, he got very well, uh, or he was elected with a, a very large majority. So mm-hmm. there's still clearly a lot of work to be done. And I'm not saying necessarily that we should throw Nick Sorok out on his ass, you know he's very competent. Uh, I just have my differences with him. But it shows you, though, that there's still a lot of work to be done and there still needs to be more communication that has to happen with people to say, this is why the Mises caucus platform is the way we want to move forward.
0: You know, I, just as a side note, my uh, a good friend of mine years ago basically gave me this idea. Most of my ideas are copied from somebody else. They're not original. <laughs> but basically he said to me, You know, whatever somebody does that they believe that they are in favor of doing, that they're motivated to do, that helps advance liberty, uh, be on board. So although I'm not a political party activist, people who want to participate in groups like the Libertarian Party Mises Caucus to help advance the message and maybe get some people elected to do the right thing. This is a positive thing. Mm-hmm. Whether you want to work on nullification efforts, that's a positive thing. Whether you want a podcast to educate people to to you know, make them think about stuff. This is all a positive thing. So whatever motivates each individual, I think is an important piece of the puzzle. And if you hit the 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 monster state from all different directions, the the greater chance we're gonna have of seeing more liberty in our lifetime.
1: Beautifully said, sir. So let's take a quick break and then we're gonna come right back and we're gonna talk about Trump's SCOTUS announcement and uh, and see where that leads us. So we'll be right back with more Michael Bolden from the 10th Amendment Center. We don't rise to the level of our expectations. We fall to the level of our training. Those epic words from Archilochus can sum up your ability to succeed or fail in business. I want to recommend Conversation Mat Time to our listeners as a way to hone your one-on-one conversation skills in a role-playing session that can help take you to the next level. During 25-minute sessions, you'll work through the best way to approach that raise, that interview, or that relationship with a practice professional that will provide the confidence and experience you need to get paid what you're worth or take that interpersonal risk you've never been able to conquer. Just like in jujitsu, the difference between a novice and a black belt is mat time. Train to win. Visit conversationmattime.com and take advantage of a free 15 15-minute consultation just for listeners of this show. All right, welcome back to Electric Liberty Land, episode number 80. Again, you can find all the show notes, including links to the Tenth Amendment Center and all the stories that I'm discussing with my guest today, Michael Bolden, the founder and uh, lead arguer slash genius for the Tenth Amendment Center. Michael, let's talk some Trump and some SCOTUS appointments. What do you think about that? Ooh, juicy. All right, let's do it. All right. So there were, for those of you who are not up to date on the news, there were three candidates that really were supposedly the top picks for Trump going into his decision. There was uh, Judge Kavanaugh, who was uh, the eventual nominee that Trump is actually going to put forward. There was a uh, a judge named Kethledge, who was out of Michigan. And there was also a woman who was named uh, Barrett. And I'm trying to think of their full names, but I don't have it up in front of me, so you're not going to get them. (laughs) That's the way we roll here on the show. But she was out of Notre Dame, uh, the only female. I think maybe he had considered two different women, but uh, she was one of the top picks moving forward. However, oddly enough, the woman candidate was the one that was most feared by the left because she Hmm. has a Roman Catholic. uh, So not a streak in her. She is strongly Roman Catholic, and it was voiced that her Roman Catholic Upbringing and faith may come into play in regards to subjects like Rover's weight. Mm. So, Trump did announce that Kavanaugh, who I'm going to find his full name in just a moment, Brett Kavanaugh. There right. we go. Uh, he is the formal, formally chosen nominee for Trump to take over the uh, the late, or not the late. He's not dead. <laughs> the retired Justice Kennedy's position, and. I mean, I wanted to get your take on, it. I mean, I don't know how much you've researched into any of these candidates. Obviously, this is all happening pretty quickly, but do you have any initial thoughts on who you would have preferred? And then I'll voice my my preference and where you see some of these these decisions going, especially Roe versus Weeks, who knows what else they're going to talk about, but that's the big issue on everybody's tongue. So let me know your thoughts. Okay. My
0: first quick thought is back in, 2005, the Supreme Court heard a case, Gonzalez versus Raich, Mm -hmm. and the the uh, great conservative icon Justice Scalia sided with the federal government. And held that growing six plants in your backyard, never buying or selling those plants, never taking them across state lines and only consuming them in your own home, qualifies as interstate commerce. The feds can regulate that plant, control that plant, or totally prohibit the existence of that plant. Of course, I'm talking about (laughs) marijuana. Now, at the time that that case, the opinion came out. Now, I don't talk about Supreme Court cases as decisions. They have opinions. They're Mm -hmm. not rulings. At the time that that case came through. There were 10 states that had some form of legalized marijuana uh, in defiance of federal law. So you would think, you know, the Supreme Court sided with the feds. You can't have this uh, this uh, marijuana in your states. You'd think they'd all repeal it. Well, of course, that didn't happen. And now we're up to 32, with the most recent at the end of June being Oklahoma of all states, no. reddest of the red state, <laughs> passed the broadest. Medical wow, damn. I didn't know that. In U.S. history, in every other state that they've passed something like that, even here in California back in 96. That's why they say Oklahoma's okay. OK. Yeah, well, every other state they they put in the legislation, whether it's passed by a legislature or on a ballot measure, they put a bunch of restrictions on what doctors can recommend marijuana for. But in Oklahoma, there is no limit. It's just up to a doctor. The doctor says, "Okay, patient, I I determine I'm going to recommend uh, marijuana for you. I don't have to look at some law to determine whether or not I can make that decision." Mm -hmm. So uh, we now have 32 states define. The feds on weed, even though the feds say it's illegal all of the time. Mm-hmm. That's how I think we need to treat the Supreme Court on just about everything. And for <laughs> those of you who geek out on on podcasts and interviews, that in the industry we call a block and pivot, basically you're blocking off <laughs> the question <laughs> and pivoting to a talking point that you want to make that has I was just thinking, I was like nothing like... to do with the question, so I apologize, <laughs> Brian. I still love
1: you. I know, it's just yeah, I was like, this son of a bitch not even gonna answer the question. <laughs> He's doing it. Yeah, exactly. It is a classic uh, debate move.
0: It's a block and pivot. Well, well,
1: well, fine. Well, I'll give I'll give my opinion. But I do I do like your point of view, though. And I do agree that, you know, it's just just because a certain decision was made does not mean that it necessarily uh, is the right decision nor should be followed. Um, but in regards to these three, I, you know, Brett Kavanaugh, he's the one that is being pushed forth and I have a distaste for him. Only because of his relationship with George W. Bush. As I said, I voted against George W. Bush. I think that was the first time I actually ever voted.
0: Wait, the new Supreme Court nominee? Yes. And George W. Bush had a relationship?
1: They did, playing footsie as he was one of Bush's uh, senior advisors. This isn't a
0: Tinder thing.
1: This no, like no, this Bush. is well before Tinder. Sadly, Tinder... Uh, my wife's father, her stepfather does listen to this podcast, but sadly, Tinder did not exist, by the way, uh, up until about a week before my wife and I officially then became girlfriend and boyfriend. So just tragic, tragic circumstances for my, uh, my love life in regards to Tinder. But hey, ended up well now, right? Married. Who, who can complain?
0: It ended up well for Bush and Kavanaugh. Okay, had, so- right? That piece of shit. So yeah, so Kavanaugh, though, he was a
1: senior advisor to Bush and helped him pick conservative judges when appointments came up. So that leaves a little bit of a bad taste in my mouth. Now, that being said... There are some good things. And by the way, my my pick, if I had to choose one, it would have been Kethledge because uh I, I liked his positions on the Chevron, which also Kavanaugh agreed with him on. So pushing back against executive power was good, putting that more in into the power of in Congress's hands. So he's good on that front. Um I liked Kethledge a little bit more in regards to uh just him not being the establishment, because that's what Kavanaugh is the establishment. He's just, he's been in the beltway. He's been, in, you know, he's can't pick by Bush. He was an advisor to Bush. He's the guy that they figured would get the least amount of opposition. And mm. that's why, because he's such an establishment guy. However, he is an originalist. And I believe Kethledge was as well. Kethledge was out of Michigan, which I liked, but he was an originalist or is an originalist and stated that during his, uh, his little speech that he gave after Trump said, This is my guy, um, which is fantastic. Uh, you know, especially from the 10th Amendment's position, if you're reading it as as it is intended, wherein these powers are not – if they're not specifically stated as being federal government powers, they belong to the states. They belong to the people. So that's a good thing, I think. And then also, people are just freaking out about Roe versus Wade. Never mind that there's precedent that's been set. And Kavanaugh and uh, really all the other uh, – everyone else, they said, we're going to follow precedent. So it would take – Something it would take putting somebody in there that was like even more, uh, more right than the goddamn pope on abortion, (laughs) you know, and even the pope softened, I think, on abortion. So this guy, he seems to he said, look, I'm going to follow precedent. And he had an interesting take in regards to the case, if you remember, between it was an illegal immigrant, uh, a girl who was 17, wanted to have an abortion. And he had written a dissenting opinion about that case, basically saying that it was it was a difficult one for the government to decide and that he but he overall actually kind of supported her right to do it. You know, he said this is something it should be it should be her right to do it. However, he was backing the government in the way that he said the government had a right to try to say, wait till we find a sponsor for you, rather than it being under the government's purview, I guess, that she had this abortion. It was a very nuanced opinion, so people on both sides hated it, which which to me tells me that it was probably a a good opinion.
0: You know, I find a lot of these hot-button issues primarily being used by by organizations and uh, political activists and political candidates as fundraising mechanisms. If this if uh, Trump is elected, he's going to appoint blah, blah, blah. If Hillary's elected, she's going to appoint blah, blah, blah. But, uh, you know, you mentioned originalism. Now, if we're going to go back to the whole uh, original Constitution thing, the Supreme Court should have very little impact on our lives. And in fact, we can talk about the original originalist, James Madison, of all people, who wrote in a in a document called Federalist Paper number 46 a four-step strategy to deal with federal overreach. When the feds do things we don't like or we consider unconstitutional, there are four steps on how to deal with them. And two of them he did not name were go to the Supreme Court or vote the bums out. He did specifically say, quote, a refusal to cooperate with officers of the union. And when enough individuals and enough states refused to participate in a federal program, Madison said that would create impenetrable the federal government would be hardly Willing to encounter medicine's mm-hmm. words now. When, when I have problems with my iMac, you know, sometimes I'll go to Google, but really, if I can't figure it out, I'm going to Apple. I'm oh, going god, to I thought you were gonna say creative. you take it to the
1: abortion clinic. I was <laughs> like, you are completely <laughs> yeah. misunderstanding this law.
0: I, I try the abortion clinic first, I start at Planned Parenthood, Did and they then get the I discount, Apple. <laughs> so 20% off on weekends. That's what
1: I'd say. Anytime so, I got a disc stuck on my computer, I go to Planned Parenthood,
0: I go to Apple. So, when you know, they're. they're the experts on their own product so if you want to know how to deal with federal overreach go to the guy who's commonly referred to as the father of the constitution. And Madison said, this is how we're supposed to deal with things. You're supposed to protest, Supposed to lean on state governors. You're supposed to use state legislation to undermine the federal acts. And you're not supposed to participate. You're not supposed to cooperate with officers of the union. That's how you defeat them. And when more and more people do that, it won't matter. Like I talked about Gonzalez versus Rach, the feds claim in and never ending prohibition on a plant. But that prohibition means nothing as long as people defy them.
1: Yeah, exactly right. And, and I think we would see if, if Roe versus Wade came down to it, I think that's exactly what you would see. I mean, I think at this point in time, maybe, hey, maybe Oklahoma would be one that would have great weed laws, but still manage to to outlaw abortion.
0: But it's possible, right?
1: It is. But I think you would see overall most people saying, OK, well, fine, you can you can repeal Rover way, but, you know, go fuck yourselves. And you would just have so much, you know, I do PR for a living, right? You just have so much P- bad PR because you would just see record numbers of people getting injured, people getting killed with back alley abortionists. Or you just see, as you're saying, a flat out refusal to acknowledge it or or, uh, or go along with any sort of ban. And things would just go along until the point where they say, OK, well, Never mind. We take it. We take it all back.
0: Keep in mind, let's say they overturn Roe versus Wade, which I don't expect. But let's say they do it. But uh, I mean, an overturning of Roe wouldn't end abortion. It wouldn't end the fight over abortion. It Mm -hmm. would just shift to the state level. Right. So it's not it. I mean, and in a way, this is already actually happening. There's been states uh, like Mississippi and Ohio that are adding more and more gradual restrictions on abortion already. So. Uh, This is how it's already playing out, whether people want it to play out that way or not. And I think if you have to rely on a centralized police force to enforce your ideas, you haven't done a good job of PR. You're the PR guy. Mm -hmm. So people on either side of that argument really need to get better at convincing the opposition.
1: Exactly right. Well, that's why I have so much problem with uh, overall with people on the left many times. And and, and in, in regards to this abortion situation, that's where you have a lot of issue with people on the right. But I do find that so many people just turn to the federal government and they say, OK, well, to enforce and again under the auspices of being a nice person and a kind person and caring for one's fellow man now we must turn to the authorities to force you to into the way that we are thinking and just like you said that just means you simply you you've lost the argument and telling me that you've won the argument simply because you have 51% of a vote if this is a straight democracy isn't a very convincing argument in its own right uh especially when you see the expansion of the welfare state and people getting skin in the game to keep things as they are or expand
0: the role of government. Okay, so this is airing on Wednesday. Is that right? This is airing. Yes, on Wednesday. Airing. Right. So we're talking Monday, (laughs) Monday. And so earlier today, Tom Woods had this awesome tweet about the SCOTUS nominee. And he says, when the Supreme Court nominee is announced tonight, what would you say are the chances that angry leftists will say, quote, Maybe we should have bothered to listen to people who have warned for 70 plus years that the court is too powerful. Yeah.
1: Oh, I saw that. Yeah. It was a great quote.
0: Exactly. I mean, the Supreme Court is involved in every aspect of our lives. The federal government is involved in every aspect of our lives. They tell us uh, what kind of plants we can grow or consume, which ones we cannot, how big our toilet can be, what kind of light bulb we can use, and when we have to go fight for their wars in some other country and possibly die for them. They have way too much power. And the less we look to Washington, D.C. for the solutions to our problems uh, or whatever, uh, the better w- chance we're going to have of seeing more liberty actually come into place. Now, some places – and we keep talking about Oklahoma. Like, I <laughs> love people in we're Oklahoma. losing all of my listeners from <laughs> Oklahoma this podcast. But – Let's say Oklahoma turns into, uh, I don't know, The Handmaid's Tale.
1: Right. I mean, <laughs> no, that's, the fa- that's the favorite thing for people to reference, by the way. Of course, I, mean. Tale. I, I, love, no, I I love the
0: show. I really,
1: I've never seen it. I, although I heard the, the lead as a Scientologist. I didn't have that much interest to begin with in it. But then I heard the lead was a Scientologist. I was like, well, double fuck that show. Now.
0: I really, I really enjoy it. A lot of people can't stomach it because it's really like torture porn. It's really, really <laughs> difficult stuff. Like every chance you think like, oh, this is, of course, where, where the, the 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 lead actor is going to get out. Well, nope. They definitely do not over and over and over. It's It's like Game of
1: Thrones in that model where it's like they kill off all the people you love every time.
0: They ramped it up. They thought Game of Thrones was too soft. (laughs) Well, uh, next episode of The
1: Handmaiden's Tale, I hear they're just going to chop off her hands. It's going to be called The Stump Maiden's Tale.
0: So. I mean, I make that extreme argument just because this is a popular thing. In my running group here in downtown L.A., I'll go out running. and People always want to talk politics. And I say, well, you know, I don't really want to talk your job while I'm out running, but let's do it. <laughs> you know, and they real I hear over and over. Oh, you know, that handmaid's tale. It's it's so powerful because we're one step away from that happening. I think a lot of people really believe that. Right. So let's say Oklahoma becomes handmaid's tale. Well, Those people do exist. They have these views already. Clearly, why not find out who they are? Stop doing business with them. Stop communicating Mm -hmm. with them. Stop participating with them and then create an underground railroad to save all the people who want to get out. That might be a different solution. Maybe it's not the best one, but that's why that's this whole system, this whole kind of federalist decentralized or distributed network system that uh, that's supposed to be uh, in this country. That is not.
1: No, no, it's definitely and, and And It is funny that just talking about this, going to this handmaid's tail thing, and again how these how people use this ridiculous straw man scenario, and that's what I've seen constantly on Twitter and on, across social media to basically as the rationale for any sort of movement is that they hold out the most ridiculous example. And libertarians were attacked by this all the time. It's the the, the roads concept, you know, where they say, "Well, well, everything would collapse. Who would build the roads? Who would defend us? Say, so, "Well, obviously." There's always going to be ways to work around. It. There's always going to be people to step into a gap. And just to say, well this this incredibly unlikely worst case all the atomic bombs are taken over by our supervillain scenario could possibly happen. Well sure, I I guess I acknowledge that it could happen, but the odds of it happening are
0: fucking slim to none. Almost nothing. I and to- let's a quick block and pivot here right back to Weed. It's my <laughs> best topic. Uh I'll, you know 10, 12 years ago, when I first started talking about these issues, and I would be in the reddest of the red states, I would definitely talk about marijuana, and I'd often get People would be pretty pissed off, but I'd still do it and I'd keep pushing the issue. And they were telling me about how, you know, marijuana was going to, you know, help the terrorists. It was going to help terrorism. Kids are going to be dying in the street. You know, you're going to have increased car accidents, all kinds of crazy stuff. But over the years, people in the reddest of the red states, as we saw happened in Oklahoma just last month, have learned that when government gets out of the way and people have more freedom, You don't have people dying in the streets and maybe some people can make money and get rich off of it, too. So I think leading by example is really the best way. And the way you can never lead by example is when you have a one size fits all solution that has to be kind of part this and part that. That's why the state by state or community by community option is much better. Uh, for liberty really it's i would give the same argument to everybody even if you look at everyone that loves socialized healthcare, they always look to the canadian system Mm -hmm. but the canadian system was not implemented uh, by a federal or a a national diktat one law no it first started i think in saskatchewan then went to ontario so it was step by step by step if you want to win implement it somewhere show that your way is better and then work to get it in other places. And I make the same argument to everybody across the political spectrum.
1: Well, here's one place that that's tricky. And this is where I'd say this last topic. Well, so let's talk. We're talking about war. We're talking about the fact that the government has this this ability to decide when and where we go to fight. Now, granted, you could be a conscientious objector and, uh, and refuse to join the military, which obviously most libertarians probably would advocate for. But... Trump has been fairly decent so far on not accelerating wars. Now, that doesn't mean he's really doing it. Well, I think he's been better than, let's say, in Obama. As far as the acceleration, he hasn't invaded Syria yet. But, the, you know, what I had sent you as far as a topic is that apparently he wants to invade Venezuela very badly, which <laughs> yes. I am uh, not for. I think it would be right. ridiculous. And I've made this comment on the show before. Uh, it just to me. Invading a nation for which provides no threat and no tangible benefit, it just seems like the government feels that they can interchange lives. We're going to we're going to expend an American life to save a Venezuelan life. But you don't need to know why. Just have to go do it.
0: Okay, so a couple of things. First of all, I think Trump meeting with uh, Kim in North Korea was huge. It was Mm -hmm. very powerful, extremely important. I am not a Trump fan at all. That was incredibly good. No one else had the balls to do it. No one else was willing to talk rather than threaten. That was incredible. But, and I just learned from the Ron Paul Liberty Report on YouTube last week, that uh, Trump has dropped in one year. Okay, well, let's back up. Under George Bush, including the invasion, the physical invasion of Iraq, under George W. Bush, the U.S. military dropped 70,000 bombs over his eight years in office. Mm-hmm. Barack Obama ramped that up and they dropped 100,000 mm-hmm. bombs. Trump, in one year, dropped 40,000. So, what, is- what
1: areas were they focused on? Was this all like Afghanistan, uh, the places I- like that where we're fighting against –
0: Taliban? I don't have the details, but if you go back about a week, you'll find it. Uh, I, yeah, I'll, I'll look into part. it because that but,
1: I, I didn't. I didn't realize because for me it seems like I, in looking at what he's been doing, I know he's continuing to fight against ISIS and who's basically it seems like for more or more, more or less defeated. And granted, Russia played a long, a big part in that as well. But it didn't seem like he was accelerating things. And just recently, I read that he was questioning why, you know, saying troops in in Africa should not be involved in actions. Better Why the fuck are we even have troops in Africa? Right.
0: Well, but, so I, but I, I, but I didn't know any acceleration. Yeah, I hear a lot of the rhetoric. And I was talking to some of my Bernie Sanders friends here in downtown L.A. With, during the campaign. Uh, and, you know, and I said to them, you know, of all the people that are running for office, Trump is the only one. That is really hardcore against the Iraq war. And he's really saying good stuff. I don't trust him that he's actually going to hold to that, but he's saying very good things. Now, he did something very good with North Korea, whether that plays out in the long run as being awesome or not. I don't know. But you know what talking to people is always better than pointing guns at them. Right. Talking is always better. Just
1: why what do you think was going to happen with him sitting down with Putin? Cuz I'd read yeah, and who can trust these reports? But I'd read something where a Russian spokesperson or somebody from inside the Kremlin said that Putin was actually prepared to go in and and give up quite a bit to get US-Russia relations back on track.
0: That would be amazing.
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't I don't know if I believe that either, but it would would be be amazing.
0: So a lot of the things that I hear, you know, the idea of not participating, not having military in in Africa, uh, pulling out troops. I saw earlier today that Europe is actually afraid that uh, that Trump might pull all U.S. troops out of all of Europe. I mean, maybe they're just doing this. To as a scare tactic to generate more support domestically, but they're saying things like that. But then you hear things like, oh, well, he wants to possibly invade Venezuela. Right. Oh, he actually is dropping more bombs per year than either Bush or Obama, like massive amounts. So he's doing yeah. bad stuff. He's doing a little bit of good stuff. He's saying some bad things. He's saying a little bit of good things. Basically, my goal is more peace, more peaceful interactions between people. So the things that develop that I'm definitely well here's, on
1: well. here's the question that's going to put you on the spot, okay, though: is cool. what? So, in regards to, let's say, our war state, from your perspective, how can we? How do we combat that on a local level?
0: Well, you absolutely do. First of all. Uh, The warfare state, a lot of it is driven by various things. So, for example, 40 years of American involvement in a civil war in Colombia was primarily driven by the unconstitutional, immoral, and unjust drug war. Mm -hmm. So you fight the drug war, you're actually fighting foreign wars as well. You fight the surveillance state, you're actually fighting their capability to do that. You fight the the money that they print, undermine the Federal Reserve, it makes it more difficult. You use things like cryptocurrency or, or gold and silver, like, for example, For example, in Texas, they just opened up the Texas Bullion Depository. In essence, it's outside the Federal Reserve System, but it's a gold and silver bank where anybody on Earth will be able to open up an account. And get a debit card in time, get a debit card, and make purchases where that it, it automatically just converts your gold into fiat for, for whatever merchant. Interesting.
1: And, is that is that associated in any way with the state or is it just private banks? That
0: one is. Now, there's one in Utah. Well, the, well what's
1: interesting to me about that, though, is because Texas has been talking about secession for quite a long time. And that seems like a pretty solid step to say we're serious about seceding. And, this, well, and now we're creating our own, our own uh, reserve.
0: They have uh, an independent power grid there in Texas as yeah. well. So, I mean, but there's a there's a privately run business that's very similar that's up and running far beyond where the bullion depository is in Texas, in Utah, called United Precious Metals Association. You can just open up an account, uh, deposit your sound money, and then actually use it. So one of the things that has always been argued against using sound money— as money is, well, what are you going to do? Carry a bunch of gold and silver <laughs> around. Can't do that. Well, right. if you can do it with a visa card, you absolutely can. So all these things are very important in undermining the power of the central state. But on top of it, we've for many years has supported and pushed a, a state level legislation called Defend the Guard, which would ban a state from sending any of their National Guard troops to uh, uh, overseas conflicts without not a declaration of by- or-
1: Yes, I love it. Great. See, There you go. I knew it. I knew you had the answer, man. I was excited to get to it. I had faith. I said my audience is going to love this.
0: So it would flat out defy this. We can go all the way back to the War of 1812. Daniel Webster, who was a horrible nationalist, was actually talking about his opposition to the War of 1812. So on this, he's very positive. And he said, There are there is little more than reason for the state governments to exist than to interpose against arbitrary authority and stop, for example, the draft Mm -hmm. or stop people from being sent off to war to fight this this unjust war, as he called it. So this is a very long tradition. Uh, Cindy Sheehan supported these types of efforts when she was running around uh, protesting at the Bush ranch. For example, she would go to state houses and work to get uh, something like this passed. Uh, Pat McGeehan, who's a a strong libertarian in the West Virginia State House, has been pushing this legislation filed at the last two sessions. He actually, the second time around, he got a bunch of co-sponsors on it again. So I think it's an educational process to say, you know what, even on war, we can actually have an effect locally and directly on their ability to wage that war. And then you talk about things like uh, torture and rendition, which is part of the CIA war, the secret war in North Carolina, for example. Uh, that's one of the locations that was basically a flashpoint for the rendition process. Mm -hmm. They would run people into a state-owned airport and then carry out the rendition to foreign countries. Well, my team is actually working on legislation to be introduced for 2019 in North Carolina to no longer participate in these types of programs, to stop participating in rendition and torture regimes with the CIA. And these are all, I mean— Pieces of a puzzle. The more that we undermine the central state's power in any way, the less strong they are and the less capability they'll be able to have of harming and killing other people.
1: That's absolutely amazing, man. So there you go, guys. I think that's a good place for us to wrap this up. So I just want to emphasize to all of you, I've said it before, but please do go support Michael, support the 10th Amendment Center's mission. Can you can just go to 10thamendmentcenter.org, correct? It's .com. (laughs) .com. Oh, sorry, guys.
0: I'm for profit, man. No <laughs> 501c3. I'm not partnering with any IRS. I don't want them to exist. Those people need real jobs. So now I'm not friendly with the IRS. They don't like any of us. Oh, don't worry. I'm not their friend either. We're so they
1: you go. Here at the 10th Amendment Center. <laughs> so go support the 10th Amendment Center. And uh, just thank you for coming on because, it, like I said, it is amazing to see what you can do and people i think this is just a, for ways people can engage on a local level to get inspired by what you're doing and look and see what is the 10th amendment center up to what are you doing that they can say all right i'm going to take a page out of that book i'm going to attack this local law i'm going to attack this like this level uh there's this local level of liberty squash and bullshit and you're just doing it to the max man it's 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 incredible. So, thank you so much for joining the show.
0: Super quick plug on that. Yeah. In the- anybody who's interested in actually seeing how this stuff plays out or maybe how they can implement it on other things, we do an annual report. It's like a prospectus, basically. Like 70 pages white paper, free download at 10thamendmentcenter.com slash report. It actually talks about the legal foundation, the philosophical foundation, and then how these things are being uh, put into practice today, whether it's on uh, the right to keep and bear arms, on asset forfeiture, the drug war, on uh, health freedom, uh, growing industrial all kinds of stuff all across the political spectrum. So 10thamendmentcenter.com slash report is what I think people should really read.
1: There you go. Bingo, baby. So that will do it for this show. I want to remind all of you out there to please tune in to Mark, the aforementioned golden locked uh, beauty boy that hosts our Monday shows with his in-depth interviews on liberty. He's doing a lot of shows now recapping what happened and the interviews that he did at the Libertarian National Convention. So make sure to check that out. We've got me on Wednesdays. We've got John Odie Odermatt on Fridays, who's also doing doing some liberty National, or Libertarian Convention uh, stories, but also, of course, goes into deeply, deeply moving stories about the criminal justice system and all of the inherent issues therein, many of which are from, of course, the drug war, which Michael is fighting so hard to combat. So, guys— Thank you for listening to the show. Please do share it with a friend from me, Brian McWilliams, from Michael Bolden from the Tenth Amendment Center, and from Lions of Liberty, I want to remind you to always stay plugged in to.